0: Welcome to The Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and with me, as always, is fiction author Vincent M. Wales. Vin, say hey. 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 You know, we bring up a lot that you're an author. I mean, it just kind of comes up in us talking about our personal stories. And a couple of listeners were like, where can we get your books? Now, I I know it's in your bio, but let's go ahead and say it on the air. If somebody wants to buy your books, learn more about you as an author, where do they go? They go to the
2: internet. (laughs) This is why you don't sell much. What website (laughs) do they go to? www.vincentmwales.com.
1: That's cool. You've written a lot of cool books. We're going to move past that and remind everybody that we have a really cool Facebook group, psychcentral.com slash FBShow, all lowercase. And what we want to talk about now are relationships, specifically people who live with mental illness, being in relationships with, with people who don't live with mental illness. I, I, you know, I've been married three times. That's kind of how this came up. I've, I've been in a lot of relationships and, you know, two thirds of them have failed. I've been in a lot of marriages and two-thirds of them has failed, Ben. Uh, What's your number? How are your marriages running? Two. And And how many of them are still around?
2: Neither. Neither of them. So this leads me to wonder, is it more difficult for people to be involved with somebody who is mentally ill versus somebody who isn't? I, I mean, I think the obvious answer to that is, well, yeah. What are your thoughts?
1: First off, I think that being mentally ill makes everything more difficult. Right. And since romantic relationships are, you know, contained within everything, yeah. I mean, when I'm depressed, I can't get out of bed. And if I have trouble making it from the bedroom to the bathroom, then you know, meeting the basic requirements of being a, a romantic partner <laughs> are... Yeah, it makes it tough. It does make it tough, but, but people have done it. I'm coming up on 6 years happily married uh, and, and those are the whole 6 like there there there's there's no joke coming at the other end we've been together for 10 happily for 6 it, yeah. I don't I don't have that but but I do have the bad relationships and, and you know bad not good ended in divorce because it, you know I just didn't know what I was doing I wasn't I wasn't capable of living in my own skin let alone being available for
2: somebody else so I think what we ought to do today is try to offer some suggestions to people who are not mentally ill about how to better handle the relationships with somebody who is i'm glad you brought this up because i talked to all the non-mentally ill people in my life
1: and this is what she said (laughs) my wife does not live with bipolar disorder like myself and and i met her when i was well into recovery And I think that this is one of the keys to success for us. I took care of my own needs first. I was stable. I was in recovery. I had something to offer other than I'm not living very well. And by the time she met me, she didn't see all of the difficulties that I had been through, which is a bit of a double-edged sword. On one hand, she saw me for who I am at my core. You know, a person right. who loves, you know, art and music and television and sports. and But on the other hand, I kind of feel like, w- would she have wanted to marry me if she would have seen me, you know, at my worst? And, and if I become my worst
2: self again, is she going to run off? Like, right. what would that look like? You know, and, and I know this isn't really on point here, but as you've said, you, you've you been married three times. Yeah. and it's an interesting array because in your first marriage you were completely undiagnosed, completely, completely undiagnosed. And so that relationship ended as one might expect your second marriage, you were diagnosed, but just at the very beginning stages of, of being treated. Right. Right. Yeah, she's the one that took me to the hospital. Right,
1: Without right. her, I, she she figured out that there was something wrong. Uh, you know, pardon my French, but I thought I was just a, uh, uh, I'm going to say butthole. <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought that I was just, a, just frankly, a bad person. Uh, this is what most of the people around me believed, that I was just, you know, an emotional wreck, unreliable, and couldn't be trusted. We didn't realize there was any disease process involved at all. I thought mm-hmm. wanting to die was, you know, just normal because of how bad I was. Uh, She recognized that that was, you know, yeah, she recognized that that was abnormal. Imagine. I know. And then we got married, which interestingly enough, she saved my life. We got married. So that's like a romantic story, right? Yeah, yeah. It turns out there's two things that are universally true. Being married to an untreated bipolar, not good. Uh, and being married to a newly treated bipolar who is not in control of his illness, not much, also better. not good. <laughs> right. It, my life really is a third times the charm I was yeah. diagnosed and I was in control of my own illness, but, but, but I, I still have to go back and say, I I'm still waiting on this marriage to end. And, and part of that is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, is, is previous trauma. But I I do have to wonder, you know, Vin, you were there when I was sick. I've known you a very long time and you knew me when I was at my worst. So the fact that we're still friends is comforting because you've seen me at my worst. You've seen me at my best and you have made a decision to stick around. But the people that never saw me at my worst, I, I wonder if they'd stick around.
2: Well, you know, being on the other side of the country makes it easier to stick around. So.
1: And we're not in a romantic relationship. I I mean, if I blow all my money, fall apart and sleep under a bridge, it's, I'm not going to take you down with me. So it's not completely fair, which is one of the reasons that we're talking about romantic relationships specifically. And we're not talking about like friendships or family members. My wife is linked to me as goes Gabe, as goes Kendall, uh, for better, for worse. I I think that's in the vows. I've heard that. You have. Yeah. A
2: couple of times. I... <laughs> <laughs> I beat you to that joke.
1: So I did, right. I, I, I sat down, I sat down with Kendall and, and in preparation for the show and, and I asked her a lot of questions. And one of the first things that came up with all respect to previous relationships is I, I was very, very mentally ill when I got married the first time. But in reality, my, my ex, she wasn't doing so great in the mental health department either. You know, if you weigh 300 pounds and you want to be thin, find a 500 pound guy to stand next to. So we both were very young. We both had mental health problems. I was just sicker and more out of control. So neither one of us were really in a position to help the other. And this was detrimental for both of us and has left both of us with some, you know, lingering relationship trauma. Um, that, you know, I'm sure she's not thrilled to have to deal with. And, and I feel horrific for laying at her doorstep by the time my second marriage came along, I had regrets, but I, I don't know, it, it was very, very different. But the one thing that we didn't do, and I'm, I'm friends, longtime listeners of the podcast have heard her on the show. Mm-hmm. We're still friends because we understood how to work together to manage mental illness but we didn't put any time, energy and attention to all the other parts of marriage. We handled the mental health part. Great.
2: So that's half the battle.
1: (laughs) If I've learned nothing else from being, you know, unsuccessfully married twice and successfully married once, it's that there are no shortcuts. Living with mental illness just added on more work. It didn't take any work away. All of the basics of being in a romantic relationship still apply. I still have to put her needs ahead of my own. She still needs to put my needs ahead of hers. We need to have compromise. We need to have similar values. We need to work together as a team. You know, we need to decide, you know, basic things like, you know, where to live and how to spend money. None of that goes away. We just had to add work. And the work that we had to add was, you know, Gabe is mentally ill. How did you find it in your relationships? Because you, I've known you a long time,
2: Vin. You had kind of a similar situation. My first marriage, um, I was diagnosed, but untreated. And I was still in that stupid phase where I thought I didn't need external help, that I could do it all within myself, which was utterly wrong. And that was my bad. And also telling her to just chill and let me handle it on my own was also my bad. So clearly that was a recipe for disaster. In the second one, I had, I had at that, by that point, I'd had some, some treatment, but still was not on antidepressants, which I should have been. And so still had its own set of issues there. So yeah, I, I, so I haven't done number three yet. Now that I am on antidepressants, I, I should probably get married again. Is that what you're, you're trying to get at? It worked out for me. And on that note, while we're at break,
1: if everybody could think of all their single friends for Vincent M. Wales, the (laughs) famous, famous author and podcaster, uh, we'll be right back. We're going to step away.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com.
2: Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about uh, mental illness within relationships. And now that we've discussed all the bad aspects of it, what advice can we give to the non-mentally ill half of the relationship in order to make things better for the two of them? So it's like a one-two punch.
1: The first thing is is I have to be completely honest with the person that I'm, that I'm in the relationship with. I have to tell her everything. I, I don't get any credit for, you know, hiding what I'm going through, hiding my symptoms, hiding my illness. And then what they need to do is accept that at face value. You know, they and need to and ask, they need to ask, yeah. Right. They need to
2: ask appropriate follow-up questions. They need to educate themselves about that illness. Educating is a big one. That is a really big one, I think. And it's not just educating in terms of you know, the, the clinical side of things. It's also educating about how that illness affects their partner specifically, not just in the big, you know, grand, okay, here's what bipolar disorder means in in a clinical sense, but what does it mean for Gabe? How does it affect Gabe? So it needs to be a very personal kind of education. And that personal education has to be, it has to be a partnership.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things that my wife and I have done is I tell her what I need and she doesn't follow blindly. And And I really think that's the key. I don't just get to say, hi, I live with bipolar disorder. So I get to choose dinner tonight. Uh, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, Never. Not even once.
2: Didn't, did, did you try it?
1: I, I, you know, I have, and, and you're actually correct. I, I'm kind of glad that you made the tongue in cheek joke because <laughs> if I said that, which I have, you know, I really need to go to this place and sit in the back. I'm just, you know, maybe like on a vacation or maybe when there's a lot going on or a lot of commotion and she really, really wants the different restaurant. But because I don't pull that card often, because we're perfectly honest with each other and she looks at me and she's like, okay, you know, Gabe's hit a wall. He, he wants this, this comforting escape at, you know, you know Pizza Hut or whatever. The, I, I don't pull that out every time. So she knows I mean it and that's on me. But what's on her is she can't just let me get away with murder because I I play the bipolar disorder card. It doesn't work that way. So she had to educate herself enough about my illness to know when to push back and when not to. And that can be done in, in a million different ways. Okay. Maybe a million is an exaggeration, but there are definitely more than five. She did research on the internet. She took a class through a local support group. She went to a caregiver support group. She has asked me, endless questions over the six years that we've been together. She's talked to the people around me. She's talked to other people that live with bipolar disorder. She's listened to shows like this so that she can understand what it means. And then finally, she's been willing to make mistakes. And that's the big one. If I give her credit for anything, it's that she's been willing to make mistakes because it's in those mistakes that we've learned together. And finally, oh my God, does she forgive me for all the mistakes that I've made? And will no doubt make in the future because that's what marriage is. It's Mm -hmm. not about not making mistakes. It's not about not arguing. It's about working together to get to that, I don't know, blissful marriage in the sky. Okay. Stuff is always in the sky. In the sky. In the sky. I hear there's pie there. So then you're you're single. And I know that you want to be in a relationship because we've discussed it before. Mm -hmm. What are your hopes for your partner? Like, what do you want them to know and understand? How do you want them to enter the relationship so that you have the best odds of, you know, making number three work?
2: It's kind of a timely question right now too, because I've been out on a few dates with somebody and, and we're still doing that. So it's, it hasn't ended yet, but uh, lately, uh, this past week has been a pretty bad one for me, depression wise. And, you know, since I don't, live with this person, she's not really seeing it. You know, I might, you know, in the course of of texting with her during the day, I might say, yeah, it's kind of a a crummy day. I'm, you know, the depression is winning today, that kind of thing. But that's not the same as her experiencing it. So I do have fears. You know, it scares the crap out of me that somebody that I would potentially be with might see that just like you've indicated and it makes them run off. So yeah, I would certainly want them to do what we've been saying is, you know, the education and being understanding and, of course, being patient is is a big one, too. But, you know, you don't want them to go to the extreme either. You don't want them to become like your babysitter. Helpful is one thing, but being, you know, the constant, is there anything I can do? What do you need? That kind of thing all the time is is just, that's too much as well. Yeah.
1: You just described my second marriage. <laughs> yeah. I, I, again, as I stated, we did a great job, me and my second wife, of managing bipolar disorder, of managing the mental health system, of getting me the help that I needed in order to become, you know, well. And, 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 and I am so thankful for her. And it's why we're still friends. But we put absolutely nothing, as you just said, into the marriage, Mm-hmm. All there was, was her being my caregiver. There was nothing else. And, and that was problematic. So to the listeners out there, if your entire relationship is about your mental illness, you, you, you need
2: to expand. You need right. to get a hobby. Another thing that, that is important for them to keep in mind is that, you know, some days will be better than others. I've been having a, a kind of bad time recently, but it'll get better because it always does. So yes, some days will be better than others. There will be bad days. Just expect that and, and, you know, be flexible, be ready for it. And from our perspective, the people that we love are going to have bad days too. They,
1: they, sure. may, not, they may not be related to mental illness, but, you know, listen, as, as much as I love my wife and as much as my wife is, is free from, you know, severe and persistent Mental illness. Yeah, she she still gets grumpy. <laughs> she still has bad days at work. She still. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. we all have to tolerate things from our loved ones, and this this is a good segue into another point that we, as people living with mental illness, need to
2: understand. Sometimes our our significant others are going to need breaks. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Any kind of if you are a caregiver of any sort, whether it's for you know somebody that you are literally being a caregiver for physically because they're, you know, infirm or just being with somebody who is mentally ill, you need yourself. You need your, your time for yourself. You've got to take care of yourself in order to be able to better tend to other people. That's just, I
1: think the phrase that you're looking for is that you can't pour from an empty cup.
2: Well, I wasn't looking for that, but yeah, that works.
1: And it's important to understand in your relationship that the person you're in a relationship with isn't your caregiver. They might do caregiving tasks, just like if my wife has surgery, I am going to be her caregiver to get through the surgery. I don't consider Kendall my caregiver. I consider her my partner. And as my partner, sometimes she needs to help care for me because I am managing a long-term illness. So... That's good. If you look to your significant other to do all the work for you, you've created an imbalance in your relationship. And if you are looking at your mentally ill partner and thinking, oh, I have to take care of you because you can't take care of yourself, then you've created an imbalance in your relationship. And I think it's very, very important to understand that because good relationships are based on
2: a semblance of equality. Very well said what i was trying to say but you said it better that's why i'm a writer and not a speaker <laughs> vin
1: that is excellent in 20 minutes we're not going to be able to discuss everything that has to do with living with mental illness and being in a you know a romantic relationship i don't i don't think we could cover that in 20 days but the things that we need to take the time to realize is that romantic relationships are a partnership and if the two of you aren't working together then you're going to find yourself working against each other and once you start working against each other, your relationship is almost positively going to fail or become extremely codependent, which maybe we should cover in another uh, episode there, Vin. Yeah, that's certainly doable. <laughs> All right. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And remember, you can get one week of convenient, affordable, private, online counseling, absolutely free, anytime, anywhere, just by visiting betterhelp.com slash We'll see everyone next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psych Central is overseen by Dr. John Grohol, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at gabehoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counsellor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com.
1: There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD.